Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at TeamZelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. How's it going? How's training going? Are you, let's see, it's tapering yet? What's the, what's the deal? I'm not quite tapering yet, Alyssa. Like again, my like build and everything marathon. I don't know if I'm following a a traditional marathon build block, whatever taper, just because I'm, I'm not a traditional marathoner. So I wouldn't say I'm totally tapering. I do have, I I do have some rest on my schedule this week, which is much needed. (laughs) I'm not feeling my very best. I'm at that point where I feel like I'm like questioning whether I'm even capable of running 26.2 miles. And so I think that's probably about where I should be two weeks out. Um, I'm pretty tired and I'm hopeful that things will sharpen up and come around in the next two weeks. I know rationally a lot can change in two weeks. So that's what I'm very hopeful with. But to be honest, I'm questioning. <laughs> so for our listeners, if, if you're just joining Iron Women and this is like your first episode ever, Haley is, tell, is about a little less than two weeks out from the U.S. Marathon Olympic trials, which are happening here shortly in Atlanta, Georgia, February. Let's see. I know I'm going to Atlanta on the 26th. So February 27th, 28th, 29th is the race, right? Leap so, day, leap day. Alyssa, oh my God. I, I, yeah, it's an easy, easy one. Extra day. There's an extra day in February and we're making the most of it. That's so true. So that's exciting though. And I think 
I mean, that sounds about right, I feel like, for a big race like this on the horizon. I think that sounds like training is going as it should be. So congratulations on that. That's, that's a step in the right direction. On feeling terrible. Yeah. That's exactly how you should feel. How about you? You're three weeks out from Ironman New Zealand. How are you feeling? You got a little bit more time. Do you feel as, as terrible as me? I do. I'm just in like that constant state of how is this even possible? And why am I even doing this to myself all the time? But Instead of running all the miles, I this block has really been more about swimming the yards and biking all the miles for me. So I've been spending a lot of quality time on my bike. And I, you know how when you first do that, you're like, oh, this feels so awful, be on the bike again. But then you hit that like sweet spot and you're like, man, this feels good. Like I feel like I'm one with the bicycle. And then you get to that point where your body starts to revolt again and you're like, okay, enough with the biking like this is enough I feel like it's fine it's fine I'm gonna do fine right so I'm on the other side of it which is good because I did finish up my last like big outdoor ride I guess I have been doing these 120 mile bike rides every weekend for the last three or four weeks and it's been a lot of riding and it's been a lot of riding solo Haley so like I got very lucky that last summer as I was doing Ironman prep I coached my boyfriend and so conveniently on his plan on long ride days my plan would show up like oh you have a long ride too coincidence and he's doing more ultra running this winter I guess so I haven't I I managed to like have him for two hours of one of the 120 mile rides and it's just, it's a lonely ride out there when you're just pedaling through, through February and January. You couldn't be like, oh, you know, what's really great. What will really set you up well for a great ultra marathon is 120 miles on the bike. You know, I thought <laughs> about actually doing it. <laughs> I thought about doing it one time because like, also I, I could totally rationalize it for him. I'd be like, no, this is like going to be really good because it's going to be just a good day to practice like fueling while you're working hard. And just to be like moving through the whole time, like ultra running, it's all about just moving through the day. Like I would totally sell it. But the problem is, is that now that like I'm strong enough on the bike, like I would drop him and then I'd be waiting and then I'd be like, that wouldn't be fun for me either. So, um, so that was the problem, but <laughs> I actually did think about trying to build that in. Yeah. It's just, it's, we're at that time, but everything is going to come around for both of us. And those long solo miles will pay off. And I'm sure you've had a lot of good thoughts and maybe you come up with like an invention during that time. I mean, that's like, that's when like things pop into your head, right? So it, it'll pay off. And if nothing else, you're going to be like, at least New Zealand will be beautiful. <laughs> So you'll get to like, really, if you can appreciate the scenery, I know it's a little bit different. Sometimes it's hard on race day. I'm like, all I look at is like my bike computer, but, um, but sometimes you get to like take in the scenery a bit. Yeah, that's true. And Haley, one thing I haven't had to invent during these long rides, because it's already been invented by the people at Zelios has been like travel packs of chamois cream, because when I'm riding long, I definitely like you go to the bathroom a couple times and you stop to refuel and then you need to reapply the chamois cream situation so that you're not like dying for the whole rest of the ride. And Zelios has those little packs that you can just put in your jersey or your jacket and carry with you. And then boom, when you're at your little pit stops on your ride and you can continue riding in comfort, those have been absolutely huge for me. So if people didn't know that they exist and have been riding their bikes, inventing these, like, sorry, your million dollar idea is already taken. You can get them at teamzelios.com. And I hear, oh, and they're 15% off with the code Iron Women. And Haley, I hear that you have actually been using 
a new Zelios product this week as well. That is right, Alyssa. This week, Zelios announced that, or they launched their new Active Recovery Race Relief Cold Therapy Gel. It's very exciting. I think it was just released like two days ago. And it's sort of like a, like a, kind of like a cooling gel. I think it has the active ingredient is menthol. So it's like cooling pain relief. So it's like, if you have a minor ache and pain, which happens quite a bit when I'm running in the snow, it's a very muscularly fatiguing activity. So you come back and it's like, oh man, I'm just so sore, you know, take a shower, get warm, and then put on a little bit of this like cooling race relief gel from Zelios and it feels really good and it smells really good. It has like that minty smell and it just kind of gets you ready for, I mean, if it's like near bedtime, it's definitely like, okay, chill out, maybe like watch some TV, read a book, um, have drink some hot noon and get ready for bed. Kind of put you in that, that routine. I do like it. Ooh, I'm definitely going to have to try that. That sounds quite lovely for some like, and it is 15% yeah. off as well. 15% off code Ironwomen, teamzelius.com. Get a brand new product. Perfect. And Haley, we have some mailbags coming in. Thank you to everyone who's been sending them in to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we're going to tackle one of the emails that came in to the mailbag from Amanda. And Amanda sent a bunch of questions our way. And we're actually going to take a stab at all of these, Amanda, because we had some fun kind of chatting about these. And I think we we have a few ideas for some of them, at least. So we can send you in the right direction here for some of the questions. So just to start off, Amanda is a has an 11-year history in sport. She's raced everything from super sprint to Ironman, 10 marathons. So she has a ton of experience, obviously. She call, she tells us that she's not super fast, but she will work hard when motivated, which I love. She's also a mom, has two young daughters, two and a half years old and three months old. So some of her questions are that if something comes up where her parents cannot watch the girls, she might end up missing her master swim practice. So she tries to make up for it later in the week, but are there strength exercises that we recommend to support swim training if she just can't get to practice? So strength still seems to be like practical and she can get it in while she's entertaining and feeding the girls. So I love stretch cords. I I feel like maybe I can, uh, we can link a video that of a tutorial that I like that um, kind of shows the proper use of stretch cords because you do want to use like proper form and like keeping your elbows high, like high elbow swimming. But I think that, you know, stretch cords can be, they work similar muscles. No, they're not a complete replacement for swimming, but I think that in a pinch they can help a little bit. I will say, I think you need to be kind of careful. I would probably suggest starting with like lighter stretch cords and working up to heavier ones because you'll figure out pretty quick that you'll get really, really sore if you use too heavy stretch cords and go for too long a time. And sometimes like a workout I've done before is like, you'll do like, minute on a minute off and then maybe 30 seconds on and 30 seconds off and then 15 seconds on 45 seconds off kind of increasing intensity as the work interval goes down that'd be like an easy one and then you could take like a minute rest and then do it again and I again I less is probably more in the beginning if you've never done this because you don't want to be so sore that you can't pick up your kids <laughs> the next day. So I would start out with like three times through that, like just very simple working on form. And then if you know, you could build up over time, but hopefully this isn't something that happens all the time. It's just like a very rare thing that'll make you feel a little bit better when you, you didn't quite make it to master's practice. 
I can feel the burn just even talking about stretch cords. It makes me like dread them already. But I do think it would be an excellent substitute for that master swim workout if you have to miss that. Second question, Haley, is time efficiency hacks that we've maybe offered our other athletes who have kids that they're balancing. So uh, my favorite for this is definitely like the stroller workout. I am known to build in stroller runs with my athletes who have kids and it's a strength run and it one often forces them to go a little slower if that's what I'm looking for. But it's just, it's such a good strength workout because it's hard. Like I've done stroller running with my friend's kids and it's it definitely can be quite difficult. Um, as your kids also grow up, you can, I like build in time to run when maybe they're biking alongside of you, which can be a good bonding activity, I think, and keep them entertained and like a sneaky way to get a workout in. Do you have any, do you have any hacks, Haley? I like that one, but can I read the next question? Because I feel like I don't usually ever read okay, the wait. questions. Yes, but oh, I have one more hack, have then, hack So <laughs> I don't know if the YMCA is a hack itself. I feel like someone who wanted hacks maybe invented a YMCA, but um, I know that my friends with kids, like YMCAs, if there is one in your area, tend to have really great childcare policies. And I know it's not really a hack to be like, oh, drop your kids off <laughs> so someone else can watch them and you work out. But I think that they're really good. And often there's like a pool there too. So maybe they go to child watch for a little bit and then you get your swim in and then you're already like wet. You like run up, get your kids and then you can all have like family swim afterwards or something like that. So doing that, I think is a great way to, they get to like play a little bit and they know that they'll be like swimming with mom afterwards. So that can be a fun one too. I love those, those, uh, getting the kids involved and making it fun. I, Cause I grew up watching my parents go for runs together and I think that was a healthy way to grow up. So getting your kids involved can be really good. So the next question, since I, I already jumped the gun on this that I wanted to ask it, but have you ever had an athlete who needed to use a breast pump mid race during T2? So no, would be the short answer. I don't think any of my athletes, if they have, they haven't told me and they just assumed that that I, maybe I overlooked their T2 time or something and I didn't notice and they didn't have to explain, but I have heard of this being a situation for sure for people. I, I did the Minneapolis women's YWCA women's triathlon a couple of years ago, and they actually had a breast pumping tent at that race. It was a sprint race. So I'm not sure people were using it in transition, but it was definitely there as an option. So there are races that have like a designated space. So I would say, talk to the race director. Like, don't be afraid to reach out, like email, they will make space for you. And it's totally fine. I would, you know, it's just do what you have to do to do the race. And even if you, I mean, Alyssa had actually brought this up, but even if you were like, like you brought like a poncho and you're doing it or blanket and you're, you're breast pumping in T2, no one is paying attention to what anyone else is doing in T2. I feel like it's like the gym where it's like, everyone thinks everyone's checking each other out, but really everyone's checking themselves out. Classic Alyssa advice there, right there. <laughs> Has not had a child, but how would she handle breast pumping in T2? Bring a poncho for sure. But no, ponchos are like super practical for that kind of thing. You can do a lot of things under them and hide it. So definitely think that would work. Haley, do you want to take the next question as well? I would love to read the next question. What is the minimal amount of training per week that you have to be you have to do to be successful for a 70.3? And to give some context. Uh, Amanda said that her goal is to finish and have fun and she's okay if it's more than six hours because her best time is a 528. So she's, you know, looking for close to her PR, but not necessarily going for a PR. What's your advice, Alyssa? My advice then, if her goal is truly to finish and have fun, then 
her the amount of time she trains during the week should be the amount that keeps her sane and that she feels like she can fit into her life <laughs> because it does sound like she has a good rich history in sport she's not brand new at any of these things so I'm not super worried about that and yeah if she has you know done a 528 in her historical past of being an athlete then her body is probably in pretty good shape she probably also like does a lot of good training unknowingly as a mom of young kids, like running around and lifting and doing all of that stuff. So that all is going to count for something. And so I feel like I'm not even going to give her a number because I don't want her to like stress about that. I think whatever she can fit in and stay like sane and healthy during the week. I think that's good advice. I would add also that like, there's a lot of value in like 20 minutes of running or an hour on the trainer like that, that, it isn't like, Oh, it doesn't count. I only have 15 minutes, so I'm just not going to do it. Like there is value in these tiny pockets of time. If you can do like a little bit in that tiny pocket of time, and then you just move on with your day. And, and those tiny pockets of time can add up to like a significant amount, but your advice is good. There, there's no specific number. That's like the minimal amount of training. I, again, go off of it's Like you said, you have a history in sport, you know, what your time constraints are. And, um, and just, you know, doing what will keep you healthy and sane. That sounds like really good advice, Alyssa. I'll let you read the next one. So she wants to know if we have any other favorite female podcasts that could be helpful for triathlon moms. So this isn't, I guess this is, my suggestion would be half female. <laughs> um, work, play, love with Lauren Fleshman and Jesse Thomas, who's not a female. Um, they talk a lot about like family dynamics and training and racing and balancing it with work and stuff like that. So that might be a good one to listen to if you haven't already. And two running podcasts that I think are pretty mom friendly are both the alley on the run show and Lindsay Hines. I'll have another, and they are more focused on running. Occasionally they do have triathletes on, on their shows. I think like Sarah true and Gwen Jorgensen have been on both of those. And so you'll definitely find some triathlon related guests, but a lot of mom, Lindsay, I think has four kids. Allie has one. And I think Allie even did like a series of like motherhood Mondays. So definitely some mom themed interviews with it between those two. And then she was just looking any other tips we have for this crazy chapter of her life. I would say that I think it sounds like she's doing great. Like she's communicating about how it's crazy. She's trying to do things for herself in sport. She's, you know, making the most of the time she has. I think she's just doing really, it sounds like she's doing great. So I think she just needs to keep on doing what she's doing, like stay sane, keep taking care of herself and it sounds like, you know, she's having some fun with it. So hopefully the training can continue, can, can, holy moly, can continue to help her have more fun as a mom too. Thank you for all the questions, Amanda. That was, uh, that was fun to go through all of those. And if anyone else does have questions, our mailbag is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. You can write in one question. You can write in six questions. We will do our best to answer them as we, as we can, but thank you to everyone who has sent in questions. Haley, as we talked about a little bit ago, we're heading to Atlanta, you for our live podcast event and to run in the um, U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials, um, me for the one and only Iron Women live podcast event that's happening Wednesday, February 26th in Atlanta, Georgia at 6, 6 p.m. And tickets are $20. The hype is real. It's building. 
And so definitely if you haven't purchased a ticket and you want to come meet me and Haley in person and listen to me moderate the panel with Haley, Ruth Brennan Mori, and Sarah Bishop, then you need to buy a ticket and you need to come meet us there and hopefully get one of our cool giveaways that's going on. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be a really fun event. And Alyssa, I've heard from a couple of my friends who are in Atlanta and the hype is getting like so much, like people are getting totally hyped. I've gotten a schedule for like all the athlete activities that are going on that like that week. And I'm getting hyped about it. I'm getting pretty excited. And I'm really excited about this Iron Women event because I've, I've heard from a couple of people who are coming and it's, it's some of our longtime listeners. I think it's going to be a great community event. I'm excited to hear about Sarah Bishop's uh, race at Challenge Wanaka last weekend that she did one week after a marathon and two weeks before the Olympic trials. I mean, her her build into this, we've talked about it a couple of times, is quite different from my own. Ruth Brennan-Mori is just one of my favorite competitors of all time. And I'm excited to get to race with her again and to chat with her ahead of the event. I'm excited that you get to ask all the hard questions. I'm kind of interested if you're going to like throw me any curveballs since you do know me fairly well and I'm a little nervous, but it's going to be all fun. And we have a lot of good giveaways for the people who are there in person. So we, uh, I think, you know, again, it is a small limited kind of audience. We only have a a limited size in the audience. So the proportion of people that are probably going to walk away with a giveaway is pretty high. And we have some great sponsors of that event. It, the audio will hopefully be broadcast in our, in our interview or or not interview as our episode next week. So we're going to try to do a really quick turnaround, um, with the live event happening on Wednesday podcast coming out Thursday. So if you can't make it, you'll be able to hear it, but having the experience in person is going to be so fun. And I'm really looking forward to meeting a lot of people and to seeing you, Alyssa. I haven't seen you in a while. I know it's in person. It's going to be really fun. I've been listening to a lot of other live podcasts, getting some tips and getting some ideas. So I, I mean, you can totally expect some curveballs from me. I'm going to pull out all the stops for this event. This is going to be so fun. And as part of our Atlanta hype, Haley, we have a really fun Atlanta themed ish kind of interview today, even. That is right, Alyssa. So this week we are continuing to build the hype leading into the U.S. Olympic marathon trials, which are happening just next Saturday, February 29th. Alyssa, it seems crazy to say next Saturday, but we are bringing you a very fun chat today with a legend of the running community, especially the Atlanta running community, Shawana White. Shawana is someone I've known and admired since early in my running and triathlon career, and we do share the funny story of how we first met. Shawana has a long history in running, including a comeback from major surgery. She's a three-time marathon champion, and her marathon PR of 245.19 makes her the fifth fastest African-American-born marathoner. Unfortunately, that 245.19 PR that she ran in 2018 fell just 19 seconds short of the 245.00 Olympic trials qualification standard. Shawana tells us what it was like to barely miss that standard and why she chose to take a step back and not run another marathon in the final months of the qualification window. Shawana is a huge fan of the sports. We asked for her picks of who she thinks will make the U.S. Olympic team headed to Tokyo. And she even mentioned a few like dark mares or kind of under the radar women to watch as well. So we'll have our conversation with Shawana right after the break. As triathletes, we should all be committed to fueling our bodies with products we are confident in. 
At Iron Women, Noon Hydration is our go-to. Committed to clean hydration, a clean planet, and clean sport, Noon Hydration shares our values, and we are proud to use Noon Hydration on and off the race course. Plus, it tastes good. My favorites are the Watermelon Noon Sports Tabs, Citrus Mango Noon Endurance, and then warming up some Noon Rest before bedtime. Noon Hydration offers the Iron Women community a 30% discount at NoonLife.com with the code IRONWOMEN. That's N-U-U-N Life.com with the code IRONWOMEN. Hi, Shawana. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi. Thank you guys for having me here. So for any of our listeners listening, hopefully they are listening, this is Haley talking right now. And I just wanted to start this interview with a little background on how you and I know each other. Do you remember the first time we ever met or at least the first time I think we ever raced? We raced at the Charles Harris 10K and you was the t-shirt girl that I was trying to go get. <laughs> See, I've, told, I've actually told Alyssa this story where I was like, I... I used to go out very, very fast in all of my races, and I did. I was wearing a T-shirt, and then I think after the race, like, we were chatting afterwards because you won. You beat me. You, I think you ran, like, 36, and I was, like, a minute later. And um, I remember you saying, like, I had to beat you because you were the, like, baggy T-shirt girl. <laughs> oh, man. But luck- yeah. luckily, my, my fashion choices have uh, improved a bit since then, and... I think the next time I saw you at a race was actually the 2013 Peachtree Road Race. And that's a race that Alyssa actually ran as well since she was visiting me for a triathlon training camp. And I convinced her to run Peachtree since it's such a good time. But when I saw you on that day in 2013, you weren't running past me. Instead, you were on crutches volunteering at the finish line. Can you tell us about that injury? Yes, back earlier in May, I had to have surgery for um, FAI. I can't really say the term, it's some long term, but basically, my hip socket is not, it's like a ball, it's a socket. What is it called? Oh, well, it's like a socket, it's a socket joint. So the ball or either the head or the socket wasn't shaped properly, so it was rubbing against the labrum. And so I had to get that corrected through surgery. And so for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with the Peachtree Road Race, it is, I believe, the world's largest 10K with about 60,000 runners and walkers. It happens on the 4th of July. It runs right down Peachtree Street, which is a major road in Atlanta. And as Haley said, if she dupes you into going to run it, she not only gets you to run it, but then we also ran to and from the race, right? We did. We did. Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) That was a fun weekend. (laughs) Just so you know, for anyone out there who ever hears from Haley to run the peach tree with her. Um, Anyway, so it seems like a super overwhelming environment to be in when you're injured and on crutches. So what motivated you to still be out there volunteering, being a part of that day, even though you couldn't run a race that, you know, was probably close to your heart? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of sad because it was my first time I was going to be in the elite field and I actually had an elite number and I just still wanted to be part of the event. So I didn't want to stay at home. So I was like, the best thing I can do is come out and volunteer and help the runners. So it was really exciting because I was able to work in the elite tent. So I was able to see all the runners and I was able to see Haley and we was able to take a picture and it was a fun day. I mean, I just love running and I just wanted to be part of the event, even if I couldn't run it. 
I did actually run in the elite wave at that race, and it was so overwhelming. I was so in over my head. And with it being, like, the biggest 10K in the world, 60,000 runners, I found myself probably about two miles in having the road completely to myself. I had been dropped <laughs> by that field. And I was like, wow, there's no one else out here. I have no one in sight. It was a great experience. But seeing you at the finish line was was wild. I mean, and to see you on crutches. So I know now that you did eventually return to running and you've clocked some very fast times since that injury. But can you tell us what that comeback was like? Were you ever worried you might not run again or you might not be as fast as you once were? Well, yeah, I was kind of nervous about the running because I was having really a hard time just learning how to walk and doing things on my own. So, like, PT was really a struggle. I mean, I remember one time when I went to PT I was so frustrated because I couldn't do one of the exercises. And I was like, if I can't do these exercises, how in the world am I going to be able to run? And at that time, I had wanted to qualify for the 2016 Olympic trials. And I was just like, oh, this is not going to help at all. And eventually it got a little bit better. And I remember the first day, my first run I went out to the river with my team because at the time I was on, at one point I was on the Atlanta track club team, but then a group of girls, we formed our own team, which was marathon based focus. And I remember going out with them and I was able to run for 15 minutes, but it was really, really slow. And I was like super excited. And I was thinking like, Oh, this is just the beginning. I know this is slow, but I think if I just keep trying, like I did before, because before I had surgery, I took a long break from college and it pretty much basically felt like that same thing, trying to get back to running from when I took a long time off from college. So I just know if I just kept plugging away, eventually I'll get back to where I was. And sure enough, as you returned to running, you started clocking some very fast times post-injury. And it seems like that with that, like your marathon running really took off in the most recent years, right? So was it a conscious decision to focus on longer races when you were returning to running or was it because like you mentioned, you found this, you kind of formed this girl group of runners that were more focused on that distance. Like, and so you just kind of wanted to do it because they were doing it. How did that kind of evolve? Well, when I lived in Atlanta, my old coach, and he put in my head that, you know, I'm capable of qualifying for the trials because, and I was like, okay, this sounds fun. And so I just kept trying. And then eventually I just fell in love with the marathon because I used to think people who ran the marathon were crazy. I didn't understand why would people want to run 26.2 miles, but actually I understand why it's, it's such a, a fun event. And I mean, it's a slow grind to the pain. And I like that. And so I just really just fell in love with distance. In March 2018, you finished third at the Newport News, Virginia, one city marathon in a 2.45.19, just 19 seconds from the 2020 U.S. Olympic marathon trials qualification standard. I've read that your goal going into that race was the 2.45.00 trial standard and that you actually tripped and fell sometime around mile 16. 
When you look back on that race, it's been almost two years since then. Do you wonder if you could have made up those 19 seconds sometime during the race? Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, part of me think maybe it was a trip. Part of me think maybe it was the time at mile 20 while I was struggling, trying to get some run gum out my shorts. And that caused me to run a 630 mile. That was, I think that was probably my slowest mile in the whole race. And then part of me is like, when I looked at my watch, when it was like maybe a mile to go and I was like, oh, I think I got this. And in my head, I thought I had it until I got to the finish line. And I was like, what happened? Like, where did I lose these 19 seconds? Because I thought I was on pace. But nonetheless, I still was happy because I just ran a, a PR and, you know, those don't come too often. So I was happy with that. And that 245.19 PR, it does place you as the fifth all-time on the list of fastest African-American-born female marathoners. Ted Corbett is a running historian, and we spent some time on his website, which does include a page dedicated to black female marathon history. One thing that really stood out to us was his history of black women running in the U.S. Olympic marathon trials. I think we counted only eight different women, including both American-born and naturalized citizens, who have raced in the trials from 1984 to 2016. So I'm sure on one hand, you can feel really proud of yourself for being the fifth best in that like line. Right. But yes. have you felt kind of extra pressure to add your name there and to increase the representation? You know, what is it like to be at the front of being able to represent your community and to, you know, put your name in the list of history? Yeah, I, you know, I, oh man, this is, this is a good question. Like it really was at one point, it was so much pressure at one point, And I was like, I just don't even want to go for the trial anymore. Trial standard anymore. But then I was like, no, I need to do this. I need to at least try to go for this because I can show people in my community that we can run distance running and that we're not just sprinters. And so it's really a, honor to be one of the fastest African-American marathon runners. And I hope just by people seeing me that encourage them to give it a try because they're more than capable of doing what I am doing. And we're also still going to have some representation. Like I know this girl, Peyton Thomas, I think that's her last name. And I think she's actually from Georgia and she qualified at CIM, I think, with a time of 2.41. And she's African-American. And so I'm really excited for her. And I can't wait to cheer her on at the trials. So the qualification window for the 2020 trials went through January 2020. But in late 2019, you decided not to run another marathon. Can you tell us what went into that decision? Well, I tried to get into several marathons at towards the end and all of them kept telling me either they didn't have any space available and I was just like I didn't really honestly I didn't want to spend $145 and not make the time like I felt like that was just too much money and I didn't want to spend that amount of money on a race and then with travel so I was like you know what maybe this, this is a sign that I need to just wait 
and just regroup and try again in the next four years. And so, you know, some of our listeners, we, we often interview professional triathletes, right? And sometimes from other endurance sports, but can you kind of clue our listeners in to how like racing kind of as a pro runner or trying to get into an elite field for marathoning, like is, you know, can you expect to have things, obviously you can't really expect to have things covered, right? It sounds like, but what is it like now that distance running for women is picking up? Is it harder to get money to run? You know, like, can you expect free entries? What is kind of the standard, I guess, for marathoning at this point in time? I think it varies based on the race. Like Houston, on a normal a normal year, I probably would have been able to get in at a last minute. But since so many women were trying to go for the OTQ, they actually just filled up and they didn't have any spots available. So I think on average for most marathons, it just depends on the level. Like most of them require you to run 250 or better in order to get an entry. And then some marathons, even with that type of time of 250, not only will you get a free entry, you sometimes can get free hotel and sometimes transportation covered. And talking about traveling to races, I know that you, you actually run, it seems like you run a lot of local races. And so we often feature guests who use races as a way to travel, but are there some perks do you think of racing in your own backyard? Well, I do run a lot of races locally and throughout, um, let's see, it's probably South, not South Carolina, I'm sorry, Florida. I run a lot of races in different towns, but like the perks of running at home or here is that I can sleep in my own bed for one thing. And being locally, it's easier to get to. Like, I don't have to worry about trying to use GPS to get to the race. Like, I already know how to get there, so that's not a problem. I mean, but anytime I can sleep in my own bed, that's that's a plus. Sleeping in your own bed is a huge <laughs> plus I have to say. And Shawana, I think you and I both share a love of racing and we both have probably been called by more than one person at a time, serial racers. Um, I have raced Ironman triathlons on back-to-back weekends. And I believe that you have even done multiple running races on the same day. So one thing we hear about from listeners a lot is like race day anxiety. So do you have any tips for them about how you mentally handle being on a start line when obviously you might not be at your physical best, right? Like maybe you raced that morning or maybe you raced the day before or something. So how do you tackle like that race day mentality and the nerves that come with it when you know your body has already done a lot of work? (laughs) Good question. Well, for me, I think you have to just look at it like this is an opportunity I get to run. I get to get on this starting line and see what my body is capable of doing today. And that's most races. That's what I go into. I just think like, okay, I'm not, of course, sometimes I may have time goals, but like, like you said, I'm a serial racer. So as long as I can go out there and give it my best and regardless of how it looks on a clock, I'm happy. And you know, I just tell myself that running is a gift and just being able to be at the start line with no injury and just being able to run, that's what I'm happy about. And it 
tends to calm my nerves. And I love following your Instagram posts and you frequently post your workouts, which are super fun to follow. I am curious about a term that you often use. You use the term sexy pace. So what is a sexy pace? Well, sexy pace is different for all folks. For me, sexy pace is eight to 10 minute pace and anything faster than eight minutes. I don't consider that sexy at all. That's it's not all. It's not hard, but it's not sexy. Sexy is basically just taking it nice and slow. And so you are someone who's run a marathon at like six eighteen pace. And so when you are doing a lot of your training, you are eight to ten minute miles. Yes, that is true. And the reason that be is because, like Alyssa stated earlier, I am a serial racer. So most of my races, they're part of my workouts. So that's why it's important for me to take it slow majority of the week. Like most of the time I just have one hard workout and that's on a Tuesday. And then the rest of the days are pretty easy. But lately we've been doing this new thing where I do a hard workout on Tuesday. Then I come back on Thursdays and do like a steady state, which is basically like between 620 to six. 20 to seven minute pace for like four to six miles. And so far that's, how do you feel like that's going? Have you been racing a lot still, or now that it's kind of winter, is it harder to find races to be doing a lot? So you added that in? Well, we're, we're just trying something new out. I mean, I just kicked off my racing season last weekend at the run for the saints 5k here in Columbia. And this weekend I'll be running another 15k. I'll be running a 15k which I'll be trying to go for the state record for the 40-year-old because I turned a master last year at the end of the year in December. So I'm going to be trying to go for that state record. So I don't think on this Thursday, I'm not sure yet. I have to talk with my coach, but I don't think we'll be doing a steady state this Thursday, but I'm not sure. I love the new age group. That's very exciting. A new division, even running as a master. And, but I do want to like go back to running so much of your pace or your runs at that eight to 10 minute pace, because as a coach, I think it's really hard for athletes to like, to do that sometimes. Um, I mean, I can tell some of my athletes, the paces that I run and they're like, yeah, but that's just you only, you know, you can do that and still run faster. So do you, what would you say to someone who's like, no, I need, I want to run, you know, a marathon at seven minute pace. So I'm going to do all of my runs at seven minute pace. Do you have good advice? <laughs> I, I like to tell people, let's, let's think about the best people in the world. And majority of the best runners in the world are the East Africans. And look at Kachoge. Uh, I'm about to butcher his name, but the man who can run under two hours for a marathon, he runs eight to nine minute, minute pace on his easy days. So, and then I also like to give an example back with the East Africans. I tell my friends, I was like, when I lived in Atlanta the next day at the Peace Street, I was able to run with the winner, one of the winners because they stayed at Tina House. And the guy who came second, and I ran with them at Kennesaw Mountain, and they was going really, really slow, like eight to nine minute pace. And I was completely like, wow, they go this slow on an easy day? Because most of my friends, they like to go seven minute pace on an easy day. So I just try to tell people, like, 
if you want to get the best out of yourself, you have to go easy on the easy days and go hard on the hard days. So true. Thank you for continuing to drive that home, I think, for people. And Shawana, you're also a K through eight grade PE teacher. So do your students follow your races? Like, do they have any kind of concept of the stuff that you go and do on the weekends and all the, the places that you're racing? Yeah, actually they do. <laughs> like, it was, it was funny. One of the kids was like asking me maybe two or three weeks ago, where am I racing? And I think one of those weekends, it was, it was not a local, well, it wasn't a local race. And I was like, oh no, he's like, oh no, we can't come to that race. That's too far. So yeah, they really like my running and some of them love to follow it. And some of them love to tell me, like, I have some kids who are running track and, and they're excited. And it was like, Oh, I wish you can be our coach. And I was like, um, maybe one day, I don't know when I like right now. I just, I don't know. I guess it's just hard because like I work in St. Matthews and it's 40 minutes away from where I live. So it's just, I don't know. That's just too much right now. But yeah, they love to follow my running. That's very cool. I'm Sorry. sure you're a great role model. Oh. And um, and there is, there's plenty of time. You have plenty of time to coach when, you know, when you're a lot older, when you're like a super grandmaster. But circling back to the Olympic trials, they are happening on February 29th in Atlanta, Georgia. You've mentioned now that you live in South Carolina, but you grew up in Atlanta and you lived there for most of your life. And I personally would still consider you a fixture of the Atlanta running scene. I imagine you've raced or trained on many of the roads that make up the trials course. Do you have any thoughts about the course and, and even the potential weather conditions? <laughs> that, is, that, that is a good question. It's, it's so funny. Um, I was talking to my friend, um, Jill Braley. You may know her. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely recognize the name. I don't know her in person, but another yeah. fixture of the Atlanta running scene. Yeah. I was telling her, I was like, I'm going to be on Haley podcast and she, asked me about the course and I was like I need to look at the course map and she was like it's just hilly and I was like I was like yeah but I still need to look at the course map and see what the streets are and unfortunately I have not looked at that course map but I mean knowing that it's going to go under the rings I know that part is really hilly and the temperature in February can be really really tricky I mean you can get a cold day or you can get a 75 degree day. You just never know these days. I mean, back in the day, it was consistently cold in February, but not anymore. And it's also no secret that you are a huge fan of the sport. So we have to ask, how do you think the women's race is going to play out? And can you share any picks for who you think will fill those top three spots and earn a place on the U S Olympic team that's headed to Tokyo? Well, that, Oh man, like, at first I had, okay, so these are my, these are my, uh, it's so hard now because I have so many favorites that I want to make and I wish they can take like seven and have it like a cross country race. But if I had to pick the top three, and this is not in order, I would say Des, I would say Sarah Hall and Amy Craig. Those are great picks. What about, we call them dark mares or dark horses. You know, those, those people who you think could make a splash 
Um, I splash. That's the wrong term. Wrong sport. Here. <laughs> 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 who just, you know, we're not thinking about who might, who could sneak into that top three or maybe even top five or that cross country team top seven. Those people also, is there anyone else that you think we should just be, who has a great story that we should be watching out for either if we're on the sidelines cheering in Atlanta or we're watching from home? Like there's the women's field is huge. Like who, who are we missing? I think, Roberta Groner, she's an interesting, she represented us at the Worlds and she finished sixth in Doha, so under hot conditions, so she really know how to run in adverse conditions, so you never know, she may sneak up in there. Um, I think another dark horse, Katie Germain, she just ran under 70 at Houston, so I think we should be on the lookout for her as well. Let me see another one. I think Neil, I can't, I can't remember her last name, but she won, she won grandma's marathon this oh, year. Oh, Nell Rojas. We actually, yeah. yeah, we interviewed her last year. Yeah. I think she's one to watch out for. I think she actually just ran pretty quickly at Houston half as well. I want to say maybe just over the 70 minute mark or something, I think. Yeah. I think she ran 110 something. Yeah. yeah. And then another one, I mean, Emily Siston, I mean, I don't really consider her as a dark horse, but I think she has a very good shot, but a true dark horse. Another one. Mm. We're really putting you on the spot here. What about Atlanta area <laughs> runners, like other runners from Atlanta? That, oh, yes. You know, might have um, a- Bridget, Bridget Lyons. Oh, well, I don't think she's Lyons anymore. I think she got married. But Bridget from the ATC, I okay. think she has a good shot as a dark horse. Any other Atlanta females? I think Megan, Megan just rejoined the ATC. Um, I can't remember her last name, but. She's a good runner, too. I'm sure Bridget and Megan will be out there excited about all the cheers and running on such a hometown course. Do you have any tips for people who are there cheering? Like, I, you've said that you will be there cheering. And, again, you have this amazing perspective where you're able to always be a fan of the sport, even if it's, you know, even if you're not racing where are you gonna are you gonna try to like I mean it's three loops are you gonna try to move around are you gonna stand in one spot like do you have you thought this far yet yes I am gonna try to move around but first I gotta look at the map and see how the loop run because honestly I haven't looked at the map yet but before February 29th I'm pretty sure I'm gonna look at the map gonna have my game plan and me and my friends we're just gonna be running all over the place And Shawana, aside from getting up to speed on the map so your spectating skills can be, you know, on point that day, what else is next for you that our listeners can follow along with you for? Okay, well, I am going to run a marathon real soon here. I'm going to run Mercedes Marathon in Birmingham, Alabama, the weekend of the, I think it's the weekend of Valentine weekend. It always falls in between there, I think like 15th, 16th of February. And then that would be just just a prep run just to get ready for Boston. So that's what I'm really shooting for, a PR at Boston Marathon. Have you run Boston before? No, this would be my first Boston. So I'm super excited. 
awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, for giving us a little insight into what we can expect at the trials. And I look forward to seeing you in Atlanta in a couple weeks. Thank you. Iron Women is proud to be supported by Form Goggles in 2020. Form Goggles are the only swim goggles with a smart display that delivers metrics like split times, distance, pace, and more. And it's built right into the goggle lens. You can also analyze your metrics outside of the pool with the Form Swim app, because what triathlete doesn't love data? Head to formswim.com to learn more about the Form Swim goggles and pick up the missing link to your swim bag. Alyssa, I'm super happy to give, tell you and all, all of our listeners that Shawana ran the Mercedes Marathon in Birmingham, Alabama this past weekend, and she finished third overall female, first in the Masters category, and her 2.53.06 finish time marked her 16th time breaking three hours in the marathon, the most of any African-American woman ever. So huge congratulations to Shawana. That is legit. Major congratulations. And thanks for coming on and sharing your story. And all this like marathon hype is really getting me excited to potentially get back to an open marathon one of these days, Haley. Maybe I've, Shuana's broken three hours, 16 times. I need to do it at least once, I think, before I retire from my athletic career. So it's, it's been moving up on my bucket list now with all of this, the marathon talk. I'm excited. I think you should do it definitely as well, but I'm even more excited for our live event in Atlanta next week. I get to see you next week, Alyssa. We're not going to do this like video chat thing. I'm actually going to see you in person. You're going to be asking me questions along with, of course, Sarah Bishop and Ruth Brennan Mori at our live event. I hope to see some of our listeners there as well. This is going to be so interactive. It's just, I'm going to have to actually get dressed for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So everyone can get their tickets at livefeisty.com forward slash Atlanta. Get your tickets. They will sell out. So if they're gone, they're gone. Just go ahead and get them today. So you don't even have to worry about that. We also just want to remind everyone to thank you so much for your Patreon support. We do have a Patreon community, patreon.com forward slash livefeisty, where for as little as $2 a month, you can be part of the community that is helping us create this content for you every week and do these interviews for you. If you want to also help us, you can rate, review, and definitely be subscribing on your podcast app of choice. You can also, like something I thought of this week that would be really fun and helpful is while you're listening, like screenshot that and then tag us on social media, right? We love to be able to share those things and see who's listening um, let us know what you think of the weeks as you're listening to them. So all of that really helps. And our Patreon members are going to get the the first dibs and the first knowledge of all the exciting things that are happening with Live Feisty this year. Those are such great tips, Alyssa. Thank you for that. I love the screenshot tip. That is, Those are fun. I love when those come through. But have a great week, Alyssa. Safe travels to Atlanta. And I will see you at the Oxford Business Club on 26th next Wednesday. I'm so excited. See you next week, Kaylee. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production.